I am, uh, I, I already said I was going to be preaching on the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I would like to, to talk about the Trinity in whole, but I'm not going to do that as a separate sermon. I will mention this as, as we go along for a couple reasons. One is I wanted to get to some other things, so we're going to do the three. Um, and we just sang a song about the three in one, and it's one in three. It's one God, three persons, three persons, one God. And that's the other reason is because I can't explain that. No human has ever been able to explain it. We believe it. We know it. Uh, but it's very difficult to explain it. And so there have been uh, errors in churches throughout time over who the Trinity is and how that works and how it relates. But the, and, and maybe we'll show there's a very good little film clip. And you can look it up on Facebook if you want. I'm uh, not Facebook. Uh, YouTube. I always get that wrong called uh, Connell and Donald asking St. Patrick about the Trinity. And that, some of y'all know about that. It's a humorous way, but it gives you like this big theological discussion uh, in a very humorous way. So, so I recommend that. Um, and uh, uh, our brother uh, Todd, who read the scripture for us, he saw a sign. He, he gave it to me. And it says, God wants full custody, not just weekend visits. And uh, so we're going to be talking about God the Father today. I thought that was good. We're in the book of Nahum, N-A-H-U-M. It is a three-page book and amongst all those minor prophets. So if you have a Bible that's provided in the back of the seat in front of you, it is page 930, 930. Um, and if you don't have one of those and you're using yours and you don't know where Nahum is, look in the index in the front of the Bible, the, the table of contents, and it's on the right side at the top, about two-thirds down. Micah comes before it. Habakkuk comes after it. And you have to be careful when you say Habakkuk because you can mispronounce that very easily. Some say Habakkuk, so whatever it is. Um, but I say Habakkuk because I'm from wherever I'm from. But uh, uh, I'm going to stop all that. Uh, we're t I'm calling this three-part series The Theology of Three. One God, three persons, okay? That's kind of the overarching title of all this. And today is, who is our Father? We, we hear some people talking about God today, and, and uh, it's a very general thing. When people say, I believe in God, you need to ask them, which God? And they, or you ask them, uh, do they know God? They go, yeah, well, you know, we're buddies, we're pals. We, I know God, know who he is, and so I'm okay. But the Bible says in James, the devils believe in God, but they tremble. They know he exists, but it's not going to help them. But we as humans have good news. It helps us to know who God is because we can be redeemed. We can be bought back by Christ, and we'll cover more of that later. Uh, not today, but later on. But, but we can know God, and that is something the fallen angels cannot do. And so when we talk about God, I'm going to use some big words just so you know what they are. Um, you don't have to remember all that, but... The word theology is the study of God. So when we say theology proper, that is who is God and who is this Trinity. And it's good for us to know it. Um, for, for instance, let me give you three just little things about God. He is immutable, which means he's not capable or susceptible to change. He has declared that about himself. I am the Lord. I change not. The Bible says Jesus is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. He is also transcendent, which means he is, this, this definition, listen. He is beyond the limits of all possible experience or knowledge. Amen. Now, that shouldn't shock us, should it? But guess what? 
He's also eminent, or eminence. He has eminence, which means being within the limits of possible experience or knowledge. Well, how can he be both? Well, number one, because he's God. Number two, because we know how he did that. He was God beyond everything. He created a creation. That creation rebelled because the chief angel rebelled and defected from the kingdom. And then he caused man to defect from the kingdom and man sinned. And Jesus became a human and limited himself to experience and knowledge on this planet so that we could know what God looks like. That's what he said in John 14 to Philip. Have you been there so long with me? You've not seen the Father? You look at me, you've seen the Father. And so we can know God because he made himself known to us. All other religions, man trying to get to God, but Christianity and the Bible is God coming down to us and showing us the way. Amen? Amen? And there's only one way, and it's through Christ. And so just understand that. And, and all, uh, all cults have a couple things in common. One is they're wrong about who Jesus is. They have a different Jesus. And they have a different book that they equate with the Bible or teachings or sets of rules or things like that. And so the Bible is our sole authority, and we look at that. And as I said, there's so much talk about God about I'm not going to be able to do it. If I had two hours, I couldn't do it. I've got uh, now uh, about 20 minutes or so left. But these are just a few of the definitions of attributes of God that I've given you, that, that, he, is, that he is immutable and transcendent and eminent, has eminence. But they are important to remember because they bring co comfort to the Christian. And you say, well, how does that bring comfort to the Christian? To know God is always the same. Maybe you had a spouse or a parent or a boss or somebody at work that you never knew who was going to show up. And, and you walked on eggshells because what if I say the wrong thing and they just fly off the handle is what my mommy said. I don't know if y'all know what fly off the handle means. I guess it's when you grab a hot handle, you let go real quick. I'm sure that's probably where it somehow come, came from. It. And so they just, ah, they just react. And then so, next day, they're just fine. And you never know what you, not with God. You go to God, God is God. And he's never different. And he told us what, how he's like. And he tells us come boldly to the throne of grace. He tells us to, that he's our father. He tells us that he loves us. He tells us all those things. And so we never have to wonder about that. And, and it's good to know that he not only doesn't change, but he's beyond all our experience and knowledge. Why is that good? Well, that's good because it means he's smarter than us. He made us. He knows what we need. He knows what's best for us. So he wrote it down so that we could learn it. And then the Holy Spirit comes to help us understand it. That's awesome. He lives outside of us. He is beyond us, but now he's come to live with us, Emmanuel, God with us. In the person of Christ, and now in the person of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. God the Father is a person, God the Son is a person, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit is a person. All three are God, and God is one in three. I'm going to just keep repeating that because that's what we believe, but it is impossible for our human mind to comprehend it because remember, God is beyond experience and knowledge. Right? You say, well, we ought to be able to know that. Well, sorry, you can't. You can't understand. I think you will one day, but you'll be in his presence when you do. So, he came down to be a man to save us. But, you know, not only do we need, those are attributes, but we need to know the character of God. It's one thing to know his attributes. It's another, what is God like? What, what is his character? And we live in a day that on one end of the spectrum, you have people just talking about the love of God. And that's 
perfectly legitimate. Because God is love. That's one of the things he says in, in 1 John. God is love. It also says God is light in, in James. And, and that's two things that God is. That is part of his character. And so we know that there's God who has love and he loves us. So we don't have to fear him in that way. But God also has the character that we're going to see in Nahum. That he punishes the guilty. And so there are some people who just always point to the wrath of God. God's out to get you. And there's people that aren't in the church, don't claim to be Christians at all, that misunderstand both of those. They think, oh, God's a loving God. He wouldn't send anybody to hell. You know? And, and uh, I heard one guy who used to, well, I think he still does. He goes to college campuses, and he just will have open conversations and debates and answer questions students have. And I heard him give the testimony that he went to one uh, to one campus, and this girl said, I believe everybody's going to heaven. And he said, well, what is your religion? And she said, I'm Jewish. And he said, and you believe everybody's going to heaven? And she said, yeah, I don't believe a merciful God would send anybody to hell. And he said, oh, let me shake the hand. I always wanted to shake the hand of someone who believed Hitler's in heaven. She was Jewish. And she said, he's not there. He said, oh, so there is a standard to get there you just don't like the standard I'm talking about. Right? Even if you believe that, there's somebody you think, oh, that guy will never make it. <laughs> right? But that's not true either. God is not all wrath in, in that sense. God is not capricious. So there's some people who just preach that, and then there's some people who say that can never happen. But somewhere in the middle, God is in tension between those and our under. Standing. They, they talk about the God of the Old Testament. And somehow he changed to become the God of the New Testament. When both Testaments say, I am the Lord, I change not. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And he is the same from before time and creation existed till after time and creation are done away with. He is the same. He doesn't change at all. He has a plan. He has an unfolding plan of redemption for all people who will come to believe in him. And as there, there's a progression of that revealed redemption through scripture and through time. He waited a long time to show up in human form. And you know why I believe that is? So we would crave to know what it is even more. He is the long-awaited, long-anticipated Messiah that came, right? And again, we'll talk about that more next week. So I, I want you to see a few things that... Uh, that the Bible says about God in this passage. And uh, here's what I, I want you to take home with you today. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm just skipping down a little bit here. And that is this. By the end of this sermon, I, I want you to know that when you know the character of God, it's going to lead you to repentance. Amen. Why would we repent if we don't see the nature of the character of God? It is that that... that Causes us to know how small we are. We think we're all big shots. When you go home today, if you think you're a big shot, fill your bathtub up with water and stick your fist in there and pull it out. Size hole you leave is the size man you are. And that's, that's pretty much it. He's God and we're not. And when we see how great God is, it causes us to repent and want to know him and, and want to be in his family. So I hope you'll take that home with you. And here in Nahum, let me read these verses just we're only uh, covering a, a few of the verses, verses 2 through 7. 
The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will be by no means clear the guilty. His way is a whirlwind and storm and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea, makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him. I, I hope you catch that because if you take any of those verses and stand them alone, you can say, yeah, I told you, God's a mean God. He's wrathful. Well, they also said he's good and he knows those who know him and he loves them and he protects them. And so we're going to try to break this down a little bit just as a way of, of looking at some of the attributes of God and some of his character. And so, first of all, I want you to understand that God has a divine jealousy for those he loves. Right there in verse 2, first phrase in verse 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. And people misunderstand that word. We use the word jealous differently in our common culture today than the, what the word really means. The word really means an intense love for something that you want to maintain that, that love and that relationship. You want to protect the one you love. And we have taken the understanding of someone who does not return that love and goes away that the person who loves becomes jealous because they didn't get love back. Well, our God is a jealous God. He desires to know us. He desires our love. Divine jealousy, and I just define it this way, is about protecting a special relationship. And so we think of somebody who's crazy and, oh, you're just too jealous. I don't think there's enough jealousy in the world. I don't think there's enough real kind of jealousy in the world. I mean, if you love somebody, you want to go to heaven, right? If you love somebody, you want them to do right and be right, don't you? When you, they're about to make a mistake, it's going to ruin their life. You're jealous for them because you want them not to hurt themselves, hurt their life, hurt their family, hurt anyone. So our God's a jealous guy, but the world doesn't understand that. Um, I mean, uh, Oprah Winfrey said she left Christianity when she heard God was a jealous God. She said, well, that doesn't sound like God ought to be that way. So the God of her mind is not the God of the Bible. Now, I'm picking on her, but remember that same thing holds true for you. When you think God is something that the Bible says he's not, you've made a God in your own mind. And, and you've got to know that. Here's what the Bible says. The thing about the first two commandments. And that's in, this is going to be in Exodus chapter 20 and verses 3 and 4. First two commandments. You can listen to them. I don't have them on the screen or anything. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath. Or that is in the water under the earth. So first of all, you have no other gods before me. That means there are gods you can put before him. And these are... Satan fell, people worshiped him. You know, in the Old Testament, they worshiped all these so-called gods. These were real spiritual entities, but they're not God Almighty. And, and the people worshiped them. And in fact, I was reading in Jeremiah just this morning, and they said, hey, Jeremiah, tell us what God says, and we'll do it. And he told them, they said, oh, that wasn't God, we're not doing it. So they had a God of their own mind. They wouldn't listen to the prophet. 
And they were destroyed for that. And, uh, uh, but it blessed Daniel 70 years later. He figured it all out. But, but he says, don't put any other God in front of me. And then to put the point, he said, don't make any graven image of one of these false gods and worship them. And we see all in the Old Testament, even some of the heroes of the Old Testament would have these gods and they would set them up. We read about kings destroying what their fathers built and then the next king would build them back. And these were places of worship for false uh, worship of God. Here's what J.I. Packer, he was, a, he was a great theologian, he said this, what were we made for? To know God. What were we made for? To know God. That's why he made us. What aim should we set in our life? To know God. He made us for that, so that ought to be our aim. We ought to be desiring to know God. What is eternal life that Jesus gives? It is the knowledge of God. We can know God because of what Jesus did. What is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else. Knowing God. And God is a jealous in the, in the sense that he expects complete, exclusive devotion. Not merely a partial, lukewarm, half-hearted religious observance. Worship belongs to God. He is worthy of worship and he has a right to be jealous of it. Whew, that's good. That's a strong quote, isn't it? See, God has the right to rule over his creation because it's his creation. He made it. If you came upon a guy and he was tearing down a house, a perfectly good house, and you said, man, why are you tearing down a good house? He said, because I built it and I want to tear it down. Well, but somebody could live in it. Doesn't matter. Not your house. It's my house. I can do with it what I want. And that's how we talk to God. God, why are you doing this? You shouldn't be doing this. What? Says who? Remember, I don't know if this happened to you when you were in grammar school. At my age, back in grammar school, like, this was just, you know, playground talk, junk talk. And you'd say, man, you better not do that. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to beat you up or something. You say, you in what army? We talk to God like that. God, you, you got to do what I asked you to do. Or you got to do it just the way I said or the way I thought it. All that. And he goes, who are you? I don't think so, Tim. He's not under any obligation to us except what he put himself in obligation to us for. And here's what he said. If you will come to me, surrender to me, repent of your sin and turn to me, I will not throw you out. I'll take you in. I'll make you part of the family. And being part of the family is to take on the characteristics of our father. There's things I do that I go, oh, got that from my dad. And what's surprising and hurtful to me is I see my son do things. I go, oh, no. He got that from me. He's done stuff he never heard about my dad, and he did it just like my dad. And I'm like, this stuff is actually passed down. Well, if God becomes your father, what gets passed down? Holiness and righteousness and desire to know God and to be right and to do right. Shouldn't we take after our father? Amen. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of common sense. It's just hard for us to live it out. You know that. You don't want to say amen too loud to that. I, I get it. So notice these verse, this verse. He's jealous and avenging. Who is he avenging? He's avenging for his people. He's wrathful. He takes vengeance on his adversaries. And he keeps his wrath for his enemies. The Bible says in Ephesians, in the New Testament, in case you want to see it, it says the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. So you can't claim to be a Christian and live an unrighteous life and not 
and expect not to receive the wrath of God. You've got to repent. You've got to turn away. I'm not saying you don't make mistakes. I'm saying if you're living whatever you want to live that's contrary to the word of God, but you claim to be a Christian, you're lying to yourself. Because you can't be a Christian. We just finished First and Second Peter. said you can't be a Christian and live like that. Because Jesus comes in and he makes a difference in our life. And he turns the broken into the healed. He turns the prostitute into purity. Our God is an amazing God. And he's omnipotent in his power. Not only is he jealous, he's omnipotent in power. Look at the second half of verse. And by the way, catch that in the first part of verse 3. It goes with verse 2. He's slow to anger, but he's great in power. In the midst of saying he's an avenging God, he said, but he's slow to do that. He, he, He doesn't just immediately kill you, zap you when you mess up. He's slow in his anger, but he's great in power. Never mistake patience for impotence. He's patient, but he's not impotent. He is all-powerful. He, he lacks no power. And look at the second half of that verse. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. And then he starts showing his power in verse 3 and 4. He, he is in the whirlwind and the storm. He rebukes the sea, makes it dry. He dries up the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. And that's the bloom of Lebanon. This was a very beautiful garden type place withers the mountains quake before him the hills melt the earth heaves before him in the world and all who dwell in it he controls the storm you you, you probably remember the story of jesus in the storm in the boat with his disciples found in mark 4 and the last part of the uh that story i'm going to read the verses for it but they get in a boat and they're going across the Sea of Galilee, and a storm rises up, and the boat's being swamped, and Jesus is asleep. Now, that boat doesn't have an upper and lower deck. I'm still trying to figure out how Jesus was asleep in, in a pool of water, but he was awfully tired because he was human, so he must have been really exhausted. And the disciples are trying to bail water, trying to get to shore, and they wake him up and said, don't you care that we perish? And he stands up and says, wind, ocean, stop! And poof, it just stops. And he says, what's wrong with you guys? Oh, you of little faith? Somebody put it this way. I, I love this. How big is a storm does it take to sink a boat Jesus rides in? So what are the storms in your life? If the Holy Spirit lives in you, Jesus is with you, and a storm is going to kill you. And if it does kill you, you just get to go to heaven, so don't worry about it. Right? But after that happened, the disciples said, in verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's our God. Didn't he, he stay in the Old Testament? He buzzed open the Red Sea, busted open the River Jordan. He stopped both of those for Israelites to get through. He controls the ocean. He controls the storm. He controls the nations. Isaiah 40 Listen to this passage. I hope you get excited about this passage. Here's what God says to the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. We're starting to worry about China. We should have been worried about it a long time. We're starting to worry about Russia. They're kicking back up. We worry about 
many nations that would like to destroy our nation. And God says, oh, they're like a drop in the bucket. And then he said, that, that's a little bit too much. The scripture goes on to say, they're counted like dust on a scale. I mean, you know, they, they, in merchants in that time, they had a weight that weighed so much. Let's say that was a pound. So they put the pound on that side, and they're going to sell you a pound of whatever this is. They put on that side to the scale balance. Well, they didn't polish the scale off, make sure all the dust was off before they did that. Because how much does dust weigh on a scale? He said, they're a drop in the bucket. Man, that's too big. Now they're like a dust on the scale. And then Isaiah goes on to say, behold, he takes up the coastlines like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. Everybody got their wood from Lebanon. He said, if you burned all Lebanon, that wouldn't be enough for a fire for God. But then he says this, all the nations are as nothing before him. Dust on the scale is too much. There's nothing before him. And then God says through Isaiah, that's still too much. They are less than nothing and emptiness. Less than nothing is a zero where the edge is erased. He said they're zero, then he said no, they're less than that. They're just, before God, the power of the nations are as nothing. They're less than nothing to him. That's the power of our God. And then we see earthquakes. He controls nations. He controls earthquakes. Now, if you live on a fault, that's important to know. People in California ought to know God because they get shook up a lot. But here's what the Bible tells us in Acts 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundation of the prisons were shaken immediately. All the doors opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. You remember what happened at the cross when Jesus died? The earth shook. There was an earthquake. Many times in the Bible there are earthquakes, upheavals of land. And the world is still having those. And by the way, that is a result of the fall of man. That's another explanation. And everything is coming apart. But God will also punish the wicked. Listen in Hebrews. See that you do not refuse him for his, who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they re- refused him who warned them on earth, how will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven? At the time his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised one more time, I'm going to shake the earth and also the heavens. God's going to shake the earth in the end. And he's also going to shake heavens. And then we read in Peter and it's all going to come apart. He says, yet once more refers to this. It indicates the removal of things that are shaken. In other words, Hebrews says, the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. What cannot be shaken? God and men who know God. And by say men, I mean mankind, people who know God. We will stand. And then thirdly, I want you to see in this passage, our God is a merciful God. Who's he merciful to? He's merciful to his children. And, and after all of that stuff in this verse of, of his power and his indignation, his anger and his wrath, he says, but the Lord is good. Understand that, I heard this phrase once, just thinking about Jesus. He is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. And John in Revelation said that, they said, look around and it was the Lord who was worthy to open the scrolls. But when he looked, it was a, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when he looked, it was a lamb slain. He is the lion and the lamb. And when the lamb roars, you better listen. Right? Listen. 
Our God is merciful to his children. He's a stronghold, it says, in the midst of wrath and vengeance that is happening. He knows those who take refuge in him. When everything is going wrong, we need to run to God. We need to run to God anyway, but we really need to shelter under him when things are coming apart in our life and in our society because God knows who trusts him. And John, in one place, there's a lot of people believed in him, he said, but he didn't give himself to him because he knew what was in their hearts. And in Malachi, that's the last book in the Old Testament, says, then those who fear the Lord will speak with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Listen to that first part. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. They're talking about God. They're excited about God. They're, they're going back and forth with God. I have more lost people that are interested in God that talk to me than people in church. Because they don't know him. And they want to know him. And we get to know him and we get relaxed. Man, we, we ought to be talking to one another about God. We ought to be whispering to each other. Did you hear what God did this week? Let me tell you what he did in my life. What happened in your life? Man, we're praying for God to act in this. Man, I got a bad situation. I need God to act. I can't wait till he does so I can give him honor and glory and praise. And it says, those who feared the Lord esteemed his name, and they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possessions, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more shall you see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. We saw that in Second Peter, remember? The elements will melt away. The de- that day is coming, and it shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so it will leave them neither root nor branch. But as for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You'll go out leaping like calves from the stall. You'll tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act says the Lord of hosts. What a promise. We have a father who has a power to punish, but he's jealous for you because you belong to him. We, if we love each other, we ought to fight for each other. We ought to fight for our spouses. We ought to fight for our children. We ought to fight for each other before the Lord. We ought to ask God to come in and help us and bless us. God loves us. And I don't mean blessing like we're all doing great and We got all this wealth and all that, but that we know God's presence in our life. Because that father that some people read the Old Testament and say, okay, well, you need to understand why God said what he said in the Old Testament. It would make sense if you knew all the background of why he gave certain commandments to the people of God what to do. It sounds cruel on the surface, but it's not cruel at all. And and God has all through the Old Testament said he loved us. Said he loved those who belong to him. And by Jesus coming... He made it very clear that you didn't have to be a Jew to have the love of God on you. He showed us in the Old Testament. He said it in the Old Testament. And he brought in people like Rahab. He brought in Ruth the Moabite. He brought in people from outside of Israel and made them part of his people. God has never pushed away those who want to know him. And now we know that even more. Because Jesus came and he died for all who will come. He died for you. He died for me. He died for your family. He died for your neighbors. He died for the people you work with. And nothing says love like the cross. Because the ultimate 
act of love is to sacrifice yourself for someone else. Isn't that sound familiar? Didn't Jesus say, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend? And Jesus was a man, and he kept his word, and he laid down his life for you and for me. God the Father. You say, I thought you were preaching about God the Father, now you're talking about Jesus. I know, they're, they're both God. They are separate. But I can pull it together for you. You ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his unique son. The only begotten son. That's what the word begotten means. A unique kind of son. That all who believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God looks at you as his children if you're in Christ, and he wants you to know him. He wants you to love him. He wants you to serve him. And if we don't know the wrath of God, we cannot appreciate the love of God. And if all we see is the love of God, he becomes impotent when he doesn't have the power to protect or correct. To protect his children or to correct his children. He's both. And next week we'll see just how much he loved us in Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, that name above every name, we sang about your name, the name of the great I am, and that that name, even demons flee. God, false gods are torn down. Your glory is shown in all the earth. And Lord, we, your people, we are supposed to represent you here. And Lord, we need to know you in the fullness of who you are. Lord, we come to you humble, and you say, come boldly to the throne of grace. Jesus won all that for us, so that we now can call you Father. And we come to you, you, we find you are a good, good Father. You are a great Father. You give us what we need in the moment, all the time. You clothe the flowers of the field. You fed the birds of the air. You are a better tailor and provider for surely you will clothe and feed us in our need. So, Lord, Father, we thank you that you loved us enough to send Jesus to die for us and that Jesus, by dying on the cross, you poured out the Holy Spirit on the church so that we could walk in the power of God in a world that does not know you. And that in that power, no harm can come near us unless it's within your will. So any harm that does come our way, we know that you've allowed that in for a purpose and a reason so we can endure it. And Lord, if it destroys us, that's better for us. We get to come to be with you. So Lord, we really should not have any fear for perfect love casts out fear. And your love is perfect. But Lord, we think about those that we know that we love that don't know you that way. That do not have an understanding that God is wrathful, yes. He will punish the wicked, yes. But he would rather make us his children and love us and conform us into the image of Christ. So Lord, right now, I just ask by the power, by your power, given by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, that the Spirit can now speak into our hearts and our lives. Lord, if there are people here that don't know you, I pray that they will hear your voice and will turn to you. 
In just a moment, I'm going to ask everybody in here to stand up. We're st we still have our eyes closed right now. And I want to be very specific about what I'm telling you. I want you to understand that God the Father loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. And if you have never come to a place where you turned away from your sin and said yes to Jesus, you've never begun that relationship. You don't even know maybe fully what that means or how to do it. We're all going to stand up in a minute. And while we're standing, I'm going to be right here at the front. I just want you to come tell me about it. And we want to sit down and just go over that with you. What does that mean? How does that happen? So that's one thing. And then another thing I want us all to understand is if you already know God and you already are a believer, you might have a burden on your heart or maybe God has just become more real to you in these past 30 minutes because the Holy Spirit's opened your heart to see something. Doesn't even have to be something I said or talked about. And you want to just come fall on your face before God and say thank you and come pray to Him. Please, you can come. You don't have to come down here to pray, but it'd be great encouragement. No, God is moving in people's lives right now. You can come and pray at this altar if you so desire. But whatever your need might be, if you don't even know how to articulate it, just come and say, I don't even know why I'm here. And we'd love to sit down and just love you and pray for you and help you to figure it out. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would move in my heart, in the hearts of all of us. Lord, indeed, we have no power apart from the, that given to us by you. And we pray, Lord, that you would do the work that we cannot do. In Jesus' name. As we go, we'll stand. If you have a need or you want to come talk, please come on down.